1: All right. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy January 2nd. uh, And got a big show for you today. Uh, This is a fun tradition that I think we've started where the last two years we've gone back, looked at the biggest stories of the previous year. And then we also probably in a future episode, maybe tomorrow, look forward to what we think will be the biggest stories of 2024. And of course, we'll have to look back now and look at the stories we thought would be the biggest stories of 2023 (laughs) and where those worked out as well. So we first need to catch up, however, on the news that piled up over the holiday, where should we begin?
2: I think we should start in Phoenix because we did get to see a stretch where their three best players were available. Bradley Beale came back, the Suns won three straight, and then Kem Durant is dealing with it, doesn't seem like a severe right hamstring issue. He'll hopefully miss one game, maybe day to day. But we have seen the Suns at something closer to full strike.
1: Yeah, they played against the Blazers where Anthony Simons has missed two straight. DeAndre Ayton didn't even travel with the team due to this knee tendonitis. Their backup center, Dwap Reef is also out. They did get Anthony Simons back uh, for that game yesterday, but they, uh, oh, and Tamani Kamara also uh, did not play. It seems like the Blazers and Suns play like every single game. <laughs> they played like four times already this season. Uh, but anyway, we did get to see Beal back. Uh, most notable, I thought, was his ten. Tendon- to 13 from the field performance against the magic uh, which i watched some of over the weekend and i thought he looked very good physically in that game he had another nice ankle breaker in the portland game as well first game back he didn't really score much six points he did have seven assists two of the games that they've played have been relative laffers, one against Charlotte, one against Portland, but obviously the Magic were trying. That was a pretty competitive game, and I I thought there were moments that they looked really good. They got out in transition more in that Magic game, but I think it also bears some monitoring that Beal has only taken three three three-point attempts per game so Mm -hmm. far, and he, other than that first game, when I think he was kind of more in feeling-it-out mode, he's really been just kind of a two-point scorer and driver now. Certainly, that's very useful for the Suns they need that there's too much pressure on Eric Gordon and Grayson and Allen also worth noting that they've been starting Grayson Allen is and Kevin Durant's like well I gotta do some shot blocking here I, I guess uh, at the fourth and that may be their best group because I don't think they want to start Eric Gordon they'll probably close with him but they none of the guys that they've had to brought in as kind of that combo forward role to try to play bigger have really earned that spot Grayson Allen's just played better than those guys so if that's who you have that's probably who you need to go with at this point
2: yeah and I want to Touch back on something that you mentioned, DeAndre Ayton. So he's been dealing with right e tendonitis, and this is a four game road trip. This isn't one of those, oh, we're flying to Utah for for one day and then coming back. And so for Ayton, that does feel like it's going to be, continue to be an extended absence. He already missed time going into this. So hopefully the Suns will be back whole again relatively soon. For San Antonio, Zach Collins has a right ankle sprain that's going to keep him out two to four weeks per Jeff Garcia. And remember that Charles Bassey already has a torn ACL. So even if Dominic Barlow gets more minutes, you and I are both fans of his game. That's probably more as a backup center, which means we're getting Victor Wembanyama at the five for two to four weeks.
1: Yeah, not that it's helped the Spurs a, a ton. Uh, they got completely destroyed by the Celtics over the weekend. The Celtics have been in rust mode and haven't had to pay the price for it. Drew Holiday missed uh, with an elbow sprain Celtics didn't play Kristaps Porzingis and jason tatum on friday they beat the raptors anyway was that post trade that would have been post trade right yeah yeah that was their first game post trade for the raptors and then no also, i think
2: the, i think the trade was on friday
1: let me look yeah, yeah so yeah so that would have been post trade friday night
2: og played in that game
1: yeah so uh maybe maybe everyone knew the trade was coming but that was pretty bad blocks, well, and, again for the raptors
2: uh, there was also but, that was the bizarre sequencing where the game we talked about at length on the pod the part of the reason boston saddled those guys was because the ot thriller of sorts against the Pistons the night before. And then Toronto ends up being a team that loses in that kind of transition phase and then loses to Detroit to break the streak.
1: Yeah, so Boston continues to roll along despite getting their guys plenty of rust. Yeah, Portland breaks that Detroit streak then Detroit uh, promptly started a new one losing by 30 against uh, a shorthanded Houston team the next day. Uh, but Kate Cunningham really brought it in that overtime loss to the Celtics where Jalen Brown didn't play. Pistons were up by 22. The nation was fascinated to see what was going to happen and the Celtics came back and wanted, Pistons had a bunch of shots at the end of of that game to break the streak. That would have been a pretty good way to do it, but uh, then credit Chris Haynes for predicting. Maybe he knew that the uh, Raptors were about to make a trade, uh, that the Pistons would beat the Raptors uh, in Detroit over the weekend, but uh, Detroit doesn't seem like their issues are solved. We did get to see the Thompson Twins play against each other last Mm -hmm. night. That was uh, at least cool and they got to play maybe more than expected because uh, the game was not competitive. Uh, Anything else on Detroit's standpoint?
2: Isaiah Stewart is going to miss roughly two weeks with a big toe sprain on his right foot, and so that's going to shift up the Pistons rotation as well. For Denver, we talked in the news segment most recently about Aaron Gordon and the bizarre circumstance where he was bitten by a dog so severely that he needed 21 stitches. He has returned. Um, He only missed two games. Yeah. Like. And, no, and- thank
1: God. I, I, it sounded I figured because it became national news like that, that it would be more severe, but th- thankfully I was wrong. I thought he could, could miss a significant time he's back already
2: back already a two-game absence for Aaron Gordon a lot of notable returns Kyrie back for the Dallas Mavericks though Dante Exum left that game he so he he was questionable with a right heel contusion tried to play and then left that game against the Utah Jazz where the Mavericks ended up losing by 37 I believe it was, which was Oh a-
1: yeah Jazz got him back for that that game earlier in the month
2: mm-hmm A.J. Griffin had missed some time for personal reasons and is not listed on the injury report anymore, but he also still has not played. So A.J. Griffin has only played one game, which was December 11th, since November 28th. So we're at over a month, like we're getting kind of closer to that. So hopefully he'll be available. It is true that he is. Largely not in the Hawks rotation, and they had a, they they lost at home to the Kings. I think that was on I think that was on Friday. It was it was a game I, I I caught a little bit of.
1: Yeah, and Griffin, I think there's a feeling that he was going to be part of this team, uh, and you know maybe they could move on from Bogdan Bogdanovich to sell, solve some of their salary crunch. So that he could maybe even move into the start. He had some flashes last year. And he's only played more than ten minutes four times this season. And this is you know, DeAndre Hunter was out uh, over the weekend. They could have used him so. Uh, definitely seems like uh, I mean, I'm not saying that's a major story, but it's definitely something where it, the Hawks getting absolutely nothing out of their last two first round picks, Kobe Bufkin and A.J. Griffin, for a, a team that struggling with the tax is a problem,
2: especially considering their kind of long term issues with that and cost controlled players are extremely valuable. Mark Williams is dealing with a lower back contusion. So the Hornets are, are missing him. Their front court, like yeah, their back he, court. He's, he's
1: been doubtful since time immemorial.
2: Yeah, I, I complained about that incessantly last time we recorded. Speaking of Unclear timelines. Zach Levine is now still dealing with this right foot inflammation, but he is cleared for contact practice and he's going to play with the Bulls, the Windy City Bulls for a time. We don't know how long that well, time. Well, yeah,
1: I mean, he, I think he's just going to practice with them. He's out. going to play yeah.
2: in a G League game. True. True. Good. Thank you for, the, thank you for adding that. The Cavs got Donovan Mitchell back. He'd missed some time due to an illness. And then Sam Merrill, who has been important in this shorthanded stretch for the Cavs. He also returned Friday against Milwaukee.
1: Yeah, Cleveland starting to struggle a, a little bit. Raptors beat them in the first game with RJ and quickly, quickly had 14 points, not that many assists. I think he was more used as an off ball player in his first game. Barrett got most of his stuff driving to the basket against a Cleveland team that other than Jared Allen doesn't have a, a lot there. So that's the sort of team he can feast against. They don't really have a great wing defender to guard him either. And so he was getting most of his in transition or in kind of more scrambled, half half-court situations getting to the basket. But yeah, Toronto won that one. And then OG Ananobi made his debut for the Knicks, after uh, they'd been beaten by the Pacers uh, without him on Saturday, Knicks beat Minnesota. Controlled that game mostly. Minnesota had a, a couple of jags uh, where they got back into contact. Enonobi uh, an had some very nice moments guarding Anthony Edwards. Falls out with about six minutes remaining. Uh, he was three of six from downtown. I thought what was most impressive was actually his cutting, which the Knicks don't really have a a, a lot of that. OG probably underrated in that aspect, where he's catching the ball on the move able to just pop up quickly for a dunk with that 7'2 wingspan and his great athleticism. So I, using him as a, a finisher at the basket, cutting, I thought, particularly with this being his first game with the team and able to find uh, those lanes was impressive. So for first game, he was exactly what uh, would have been hoped for them, and I would imagine because they moved on from quickly. Miles McBride inked a three-year, thirteen million dollar extension that declines slightly over the course of it. So this is—I mean—the minimum is basically two million. So this is about two million above the minimum. It'll probably be only one million above the minimum by the time this is uh, this contract ends. I guess it's like year years, so maybe it'll be uh, his minimum will have gone up, uh, obviously. But yeah. in any event, it's. It's basically the smallest contract that anyone is going to sign at this point. That's not the minimum. And so that's about what I think that's something to get him to put his name on the dotted line. Like Tom Thibodeau supposedly really likes him, but they've always had guard depth. Uh, McBride, the question will be whether he can actually hit shots. He's got a lot in common, actually, with fellow West Virginia product, Javon Carter, in terms of of his game. But I I think this is a good good risk for the Knicks to McBride hasn't shown that much yet, other than on the defensive end. But they see him in practice. Hey, and at least they can, uh, you know, get someone else under contract that they that they drafted because uh, now RJ Barrett is gone, and so is quickly. And and while the Knicks Barrett did break the streak of someone actually getting extended on a rookie deal from the Knicks, uh, they did trade him uh, four and a half years into his career.
2: Yeah. So the stat now is, I believe, only two Patrick Ewing and then one other Nick, which I think was in like '86 have made it through their fifth year. Kenny Skywalker, my friend. I believe that's that's the other one. 1989
1: NBA Slam Dunk champion.
2: The Golden State Warriors got Gary Payton the second back. He missed roughly a month, but they still fell to the Dallas Mavericks 132-122. Steve Kerr is changing around the lineup. By the way, that was their third straight loss. Kerr changing around the lineup starting Trace Jackson Davis instead of Von Looney who only played 10 minutes starting Chris Paul instead of Brandon Pajemski and they still they still lost by 10 starters were still negative and they're still looking for answers
1: yeah and most concerning has been that Steph Curry is starting to play poorly mm-hmm. they have nine it's twenty nine
2: nine to 25 from the field against Dallas
1: yeah I mean now he was bad in the first quarter he played a little bit better but you know he wasn't able to match Luca or anything close to that Klay Thompson is starting to play poorly again again as well and I've maintained I think that if they can get the mix right they have enough around the big three of Clay, Draymond and Steph Curry but uh Steph was playing well enough early in the season uh, hopefully this is just a, a lull for him I'm sure he'll continue to have flashes but you know he's going to turn 36 like there are very few guys who can play at that you know absolute top all NBA first team type of level once they get past 35 Steph did it last year even if he didn't make all NBA first team you know we saw in the playoffs that he's capable of reaching level we'll see right i mean you always uh, i don't want his demise to happen one of the players i've enjoyed watching the most uh, of anyone but you also have to be realistic that that sort of thing could be on the horizon
2: not to jump into my potential storylines for 2024 later in the week but yeah aging aging players will will be a part part of that bruce brown not a part of the aging stars question, but he has now missed five straight. The good news for the Pacers is that he was listed as doubtful with that right knee bone bruise going into Monday's game against the Bucks. And so closer to a return. Also, they they lost Andrew Nemhard during the aforementioned game against the Bucks with a low back strain, which strain, um, which I believe is the second time Nemhard has gotten hurt against the Bucks in the last month because that happened in the in season tournament semifinal. And just also the they, you know in division teams play a lot. Yep. Also just teams. And,
1: and also uh, the second time the Patriots have won that game against the Bucks anyway, and that was in Milwaukee. There was a lot of attention on that game due to the stupid hijinks With the ball last game, but uh, Mm -hmm. the the Bucks.
2: Oh yeah, and there was that's right. There was another game between these two teams in between the two Nemhard injury.
1: And there's going to be one on Wednesday too. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that will that will finally close out the five game season series between these teams i'm not complaining that they played it's it's great theater they've been halliburton, uh really controlled it had seven points and in, in the last couple minutes of the game as the pacers i don't think they let if they did it was not a significant one until about five minutes remaining and then halliburton starts going to work on the right side at, against brooke Lopez. Drop coverage, and he got a bunch of mid-range two pointers going to his right, pulling up for actual jump shots, which is usually not be part of his game. Also went to the floater, got an and-one floater on Lopez uh, as well as uh, the Pacers. Uh, they, it's amazing because the Pacers were just a uh, complete punching bags for the Bucks uh, for so long back in the Sabonis days, and now it seems like they actually match up pretty well. Uh, against uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, given their perimeter and transition defense issues.
2: The Clippers got Kawhi Leonard back. He'd been missing time with the left hip contusion, suffered late in the Dallas Mavericks game. He came back and played 33 minutes in their win over the extremely shorthanded Miami Heat. I'll get into that in a second. Mason Plumlee was available, which is good. He's back from this left MCL sprain, but he did not end up playing in that game. They used Daniel Tice as Zubat's backup center. And before we get on, uh, it's just to say who was out for the Miami in that one. Caleb Martin, right ankle sprain, Josh Richardson, lower back jimmy butler haywood highsmith um butler's it's a right right foot discomfort af- after he came back from the left calf issue and then highsmith is in the concussion protocol so all of them were out for miami and if there's a team where it's i mean it maybe be the celtics but if there's another team where it's bad to be shorthanded on the like big wings it's against the clippers
1: yeah i mean that's crazy that they had four wings uh out and butler you know it's being called right foot discomfort the x-rays were negative but he, he heard it in that first game back for the calf and and Miami continues to find ways, you know, they did beat Golden State uh, the other day pretty severely, uh, even without a lot of their guys. But I, I do think this Miami team, if they can ever get this whole group together uh, with Richardson and Highsmith and, and Butler and Martin, like they should be able to be pretty darn good defensively. Like I think that and with the emergence of Hawkes as, as well, having Tyler Hero back, Kyle Lowry uh, playing much better than he did last year. Like they actually have some firepower if they can get it all healthy at once.
2: Hopefully we get pretty healthy versions of the two teams, but there's a Clippers-Suns game on Wednesday that I would love to be, I would love to look forward to it as much as I am right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, as of right now, the Clippers, this was their first game with all of their roster players healthy this season and uh kd you know he has this hamstring issue but i think they kind of saw the writing on the wall how bad portland was going to be and found a time to rest him so I, I knowing kd i i would be surprised if he uh he misses that one that and that'll be you know, a version of that playoff series that we hope to see uh before paul george got injured last year
0: have you
2: Memphis is also close to hole right now. They got Luke Kennard and Derek Rose back. They are missing Brendan Clark and Steven Adams for the whole year, but I believe outside of those guys were pretty close to the, the team that we, I wouldn't say expected because we knew about John Morant being out. That said, they did still get their butts, to, to just they just got destroyed by the by the Kings in Memphis on, I think that was New Year's Eve.
1: Yeah, and John Morant had missed uh, their destruction loss on the road to Denver due to illness. A lot of guys missing time due to illness. We haven't really been talking about that too much because it's usually a temporary. absence usually we don't discuss these injuries unless it's going to be a couple of games appears like it's going to be at least what else we got here
2: the lakers didn't have d'angelo russell due to a tailbone contusion or cam reddish with left groin soreness in their game against the pelicans which they lost and when when healthy they're still going with that that starting lineup change with vanderbilt replacing d'angelo russell um but they did start Austin Reeves in the second half because Rui Hachimura was unavailable.
1: Yeah, so there's been a lot of talk. We'll delve into this more at some point of like, hey, what's wrong with the Lakers? Like AD and LeBron have been healthy. They're playing pretty well. These guys are still like around 500 was the story. And that I would say certainly the discontinuity at the other positions is part of it. Uh, although you'd say, hey, if LeBron and AD are that good, like that shouldn't matter that much. But you know, they do have a lot of these games where it's like, oh, LeBron and AD shot 60% for the field, rest of team 35%, that sort of thing. Uh their opponents in, in that blowout loss New Orleans Trey Murphy the third is now questionable for Tuesday against the Nets he did not play on Sunday against the Lakers Pels certainly have plenty of wing depth and it is worth noting that it was the knee that he had surgery on that caused him to miss but the fact that he's questionable for the next game hopefully means that this is just kind of a management thing Uh, Joel Embiid will return after missing four games with that right ankle sprain tonight against the Bulls. Anthony Melton lumbar spine soreness uh, not play in the their second straight game against Chicago and Robert Covington has been dealing with right knee swelling and he's had a lot of knee issues over the years so Sixers pretty shorthanded on the wing Bulls don't give you a ton of guys that you really have to guard them other than DeMar DeRozan and I guess that'll be kill you and Tobias Harris's job uh, for that one but get, getting him back uh, will be key for Philly which survived uh, without him but also had a couple of pretty ugly offensive performances including against the Bulls uh, in their last game.
2: Last team we have to discuss is the Orlando Magic. Joe Ingles has now missed nine straight with a sprained left ankle. Jonathan Isaac has now missed five straight with this strained right hamstring. Hamstring issues have plagued him throughout his career. And then Markel Fultz, he's listed as questionable to play against the Warriors on Tuesday. We'll have to keep an eye on that. He was questionable and was scratched in their prior game. So let's see there. And then the return of Goku Patate to the starting lineup.
1: Yeah, Wendell Carter had been dealing with some knee soreness, so uh, they brought him back in to start uh, in that game uh, against Phoenix uh, that they ended up losing. But yeah, Wendell Carter uh, has really struggled offensively this season. He did come back from the hand issue, but eh, I mean, and he gives them some more defensive versatility, but you might say Batonze has outplayed him. Uh, I'm not sure. Now, and Carter will also shoot threes, which gives them an extra element. I, I do think Carter has shown enough in the past that I would be trying to reestablish him, but he if, if he is dealing with some knee soreness. I understand going back to Batadze.
2: And, and also worth noting that even in the game that Batadze started, Carter Wendell Carter Jr. played more minutes. I think it was 23 to 21 or something like that.
1: All right. So how do you want to do this here? I I have my list of what I predicted would be the biggest stories of 2023, the things that we really wanted to monitor. Maybe let's start there and then we can move to some of the new, less predictable stories that you
2: My number one story going into 2023 was young players in the playoff and I possibly regular season spotlight. And so I had this note that of last year's top 10 prospects, only Luca, John Morant, and Jaron Jackson and to a lesser extent, Anthony Edwards, had any playoff experience whatsoever postseason, as is how I phrased it. And unfortunately, we didn't get quite as much of that as as we hoped. There was a point where, you know, it looked like Zion was going to get some real big time postseason experience. Mobley and Garland on the Cavs, they only got one round and that did not exactly go super well for that and then the Mavericks the Grizzlies like a lot of those young teams and I'm not saying those players were the problem they just that storyline ended up fizzling out at least fizzled out significantly for me
1: well it did and particularly uh, you brought it up I, I was saving this for a little bit later but since you did mention it I mean the New Orleans Pelicans were second in the NBA in net rating at this time last year and it signed Williamson had just finished maybe the best month of his career I, I went back and listened to our episode I was like man And yeah, he's playing even better than he played his sophomore season. And I was like, yeah, you know, and when he comes back from this hamstring injury, hopefully that'll continue. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and as it turned out, he had like a, uh, he was later given a month timeline, then he has the setback and he doesn't play. uh, And the Pels uh, end up, not making the playoffs they lose in the play-in to the Thunder and now they're like they're kind of back it's just you know they haven't had the dominant stretch chat diet Zion has gotten some criticism uh, again for his lack of commitment and they did make the final four of the in-season tournament but uh doesn't seem to have helped the brand much uh, because they got totally blown out there and it just sort of shined a spotlight on the fact that Zion Williamson has not been able to take uh, the next step so far I mean it's not something I would put in my Top three stories probably, and I think we'll do our top three at the end, but that was uh, certainly notable that it felt like, oh man, like Zion, maybe he's going to take his place. He's gotten better defensively. Like, and no, uh did not happen for the Pels. I mean, for them to not even make the playoffs, it, I think they went through like, you know, a, a three and 16 stretch or something or maybe i'm conflating that with the start of their their 2021-22 season <laughs> but mm. uh they, they went through a really rough stretch and yeah, ended up with the 19 and didn't make it in the end
2: what was your looking forward number one story of 23 oh i'm not sure that i
1: ranked that oh no i think it was i uh Wambinyama was that was my number two yeah 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 so uh, i mean as we look back on this last year you know he only i think furthers his legend in france and and got his team to the Number two seed and the finals in the French league, and definitely became a phenomenon over here with some of his highlights as well. And there's definitely he cemented his status as a generational prospect. But because the Spurs have been just so awful this season you know i i think that that's almost been a disappointment i I would say the story i still believe in him in the long term but i think there was a thought of like oh maybe he could keep push them into playoff contention and just nope
2: i mentioned this in the, in the awards pod but the there being a different center that may be an all-star that may you know not the best player on a, on a fringe playoff team but the instead the second best player on a damn good team and uh, chet holmgren like that's it's it's a shift in it the next story because i i did rank mine so i, I had in there um the future of the east and so I, I had the question at the start of it. I said, "Have the Celtics firmly taken the mantle?" No. And then who else? Has, who else rises to meet or challenge? Boston, Miami, ends up winning the Eastern Conference, going to the NBA Finals. And Boston, you know, they had a massive offseason. That will be one of the. They were one of the biggest stories in twenty twenty three. Just it was not them using the end of that season and the postseason to do so.
1: Yeah, it looked like maybe they would be a dominant team, and they were one of our biggest stories. Of 2022 because they had been basically 500 at the start of 2022 and then they made the finals and they ripped off a 26 and 11 start uh, over the the beginning of the 22 23 season had the best net rating in the league had the number one offense in the league uh, at that point and
2: and that was all with a new head coach because of the Ime Udoka change
1: yeah and so they did end up with the number two seed not even the number one seed Milwaukee surpassed them Uh, they made it to the conference finals but then. Uh, played what ended up being we thought a, a classic conference finals until that game set when Jason Tatum got hurt but, but yeah I, I think I mean I'm not saying losing in the conference finals if you look at that it's like a massive disappointment uh, but you know it does seem clear that at least for last season they had not but by the time the playoffs rolled around they it was not like obvious that they were gonna win the championship you know I, I think it was there's maybe a thought that they could emerge to be totally dominant Instead, said there was another team that did that but uh, they'll still be one of our bigger stories it's 2024 going forward because they're looking again like they might be able to uh be the the most dominant team in the league uh, when they are fully healthy
2: uh, and, and why why i like leaving these notes in so i deliberately don't look at this until after i filled out like what i think the stories are going to be for the year like i do i do the podcast that we're doing and then i look back because i don't want to be biased my one of my notes was where does brooklyn fit in all this remember when that mattered <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, that was... So I I will give myself some credit because I didn't have it as my top three stories but it was one that we talked about was will the Nets implode and we'll go back and take a look at at where they were a year ago 24 and 12 plus 4.2 net rating they had been pretty good in the clutch there in the midst uh, I believe at that time of what would become a 19 and 2 stretch with Kevin Durant then Kevin Durant suffers another MCL injury and by the time he was ready to return Kyrie Irving who had missed games early in the season Due to the anti-Semitism controversy and missed games the previous season due to refusing to get the COVID jab, but it looked like everything was going great for them. We talked about how, uh, even on that podcast, that it wasn't quite revenge of the teams with respect to trade requests but that you know KD didn't get exactly what he wanted Ben Simmons didn't get exactly what he wanted in 2022 KD remember requested the trade over the summer and they refused to trade him and he came back and to his credit really recommitted in Brooklyn but it's unbelievable to think that basically within one month of us recording that podcast with the Nets at 24 and 12 that Kyrie Irving would be on the Mavs and Kevin Durant would be on the Sun and that is and now the Nets are one of the least relevant teams in the league in terms of like what's happening on the floor this season they're actually in the midst of a, of a rough stretch right now at two and eight but I mean that's insane that that happened I mean I guess it's nothing should have surprised us I mean I thought perhaps it would happen because Kyrie was going to be a free agent and then if he left KD would ask out at that point or if they just didn't play very well in the in the playoffs and I certainly didn't think it would happen within the next month
2: it also fits perfectly with my next storyline which was Star movement or lack thereof, question mark. I asked if any top 15 player would change teams in that year. Yes. Yes, they did. And that was through the massive Nets trades. And depending on how you want to classify some people, the extremely eventful stretch of the 2023 offseason involving Lillard and other stuff that we will, yeah, of course, talk about.
1: Certainly, Damian Lillard would have qualified as a top 15 player.
2: Yeah. As we were looking. But at Drew probably doesn't. And like some of the. other No, no. And Nord
1: is Harden, I would say.
2: And Porzingis probably. And Porzingis doesn't either. But that was a massively important trade.
1: No, that's true. I mean, that, that was a, a lot of. I mean, we kind of asked who will be the next star out and yeah I mean and Kyrie even I mean he was probably there's some who think he was close to top team, but these are all uh other than Porzingis which I think you could really think of that more as free agency because he used the power of his possible opt-out to get to where he wanted to go but everything else uh, was by trade which is pretty remarkable uh my number two story which we kind of are uh, I mean we can hit on this now because who actually emerges as a great team could it have been Brooklyn could it we talked about Boston could Milwaukee get back uh, on track you know they did have the most wins in the league, but they never really, to me, emerged as a great team. They weren't dominating. They did a lot of performance in the clutch last season, and no, it doesn't look like any of those teams were great teams because they all lost uh, to the eighth seed <laughs> in the playoffs. And, and Philly never uh, emerged at that level. I don't know that I was buying them as a great team either. Uh, and then in the West, we're like, well, who's it going to be here? Like, you know, nobody's really emerged uh, at all. Uh, the Denver Nuggets were twenty-four and twelve, but were eighth in the NBA net rating at plus 2.6. And had won 3.2 games more than expected at at that point. They had the number two offense and the number 25 defense in the NBA at this point last year. And and that's really, I never was a a skeptic about their postseason offense uh, in the slightest. I mean, Nicole Jokic had always delivered there in the playoffs. I just thought that they weren't going to defend anywhere close to well enough. As it turned out, they never really played uh, what you would classify as a great offense. There wasn't maybe necessarily a a great offense that was going to go against them last year. Last Year, you know, thought maybe that was supposed to be Phoenix and they slowed them down enough, but yeah, I mean, they're, I think, again, you look back on, on these things and uh, the creeping determinism of, oh yeah, Denver was always going to win. It's like, no, they're, they're the number 25 defense in the NBA. And Jamal Murray, he was just coming back from the ACL. He, he didn't look great yet. You wondered uh, if he was going to be able to get to the level that he needed to get to in the playoffs. Michael Porter Jr. really upped his defensive game as well. I mean, that starting lineup just uh, ended up being bulletproof. Like Bruce Brown didn't look like he was going to really work out. Uh, their backup center options were killing them ball They just didn't even play a backup center. And Nikola Jokic, if anything, was even better Uh, on both ends than we thought he could be and that's even for those of us who thought he was the best regular season player in basketball so the denver nuggets just completely dominated in the playoffs they only lost four games they were not pushed in any series but that was not something that i think was in any way obvious i mean i I think there's always a possibility that they would find the alchemy with that that group also the other thing is just that you know the whole west was a, a disaster last year other than them in the end so uh you just really didn't know what uh, uh who is going to emerge from that west and for the the way the Denver Nuggets had played up to that point for them to emerge as just like a breezing to a championship I mean that that probably has got to be my number one story of 2022 back it is and mine Nikola and Nikola Jokic seizing the mantle as the best player yeah. in the world I think that's all kind of one story
2: I I phrased it as the ascent of Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets not only did they win the title they were 16 and 4 with a plus 9.2 net rating in those playoffs and there are class- Causes and caveats you could say about who they played, but they crushed everyone that was in their path. Jokic averaged 30 points, 13 and a half rebounds, nine and a half assists in 40 minutes per game in that playoff run. If you like these stats better, 63% true shooting on 31 usage and the highest assist percentage in the NBA during the postseason. And what I... Coined the metronome that 120 offensive rating, which not only was their overall playoff number, but seemingly every game within the playoffs. There were a few exceptions, and then you know the defense, which was one of the most important things. They won 111 over overall, which was the third best of any team that made it out of the first round. The Knicks and the Lakers had better defensive ratings, but they you know did not make it as far. In fact, the Lakers fell to the Nuggets in the conference finals. So yeah, to me, that's the, that was. The actual biggest story. We'll kind of blend what ended up being reality and the other ones first um but so i can go to one of the teams that we wondered about being that filling that spot in the west and that was the clippers and i wondered whether kawhi leonard was going to be that force again whether yeah. they could be the team that make it out it, no well
1: it's almost i mean because i was like and a subset of this was what happens to the all-in contenders which i termed as the warriors nets clippers and bucks when you consider the price of the team slash uh, the future assets uh, that had already been expended for most of those teams. For the Clippers, I mean, it just what happened to them was a circuitous path, certainly. But if you look at what their team was doing at this time last year versus what their team is this year, it's kind of a non-story, like not that much has changed. <laughs> Right, like you would have thought. That, it, that like, honestly oh, hey, is lose. the
2: story of the Clippers, and it's right. even funnier um, if it's something I'll bring up tomorrow.
1: Yeah, I, I, all right. They they got Russell Westbrook and James Harden. I guess you could, and they've they've gone away from this what used to be what we thought at least their superpower of the big wings and your Covingtons and your Morrises. Uh, those guys just weren't effective for them, and ended up getting traded. Obviously, Batum as well. So they do have a, a different look as far as like what their best group is, and, and they made the trade for Eric Gordon. And ended up going down 10 spots in the draft to do that and then letting him go I mean there are a lot of things that were crazy and then of course uh, they make the trade for Harden as well but we thought hey if they just lose in the first round and Kawhi and and BG both don't finish the the first round of the playoffs you would have thought maybe there could be some change there maybe they wouldn't be as expensive anymore something along those lines and you know they still kind of have the same group together and so it'll be a story again uh, what happens with them with Kawhi and PG those guys have an extended either so that's i mean yeah they haven't even extended right there's there's almost no clarity like they're still in, a, in the limbo we thought they would be in last year that had to get resolved hasn't really ever gotten resolved and they're just sort of in the same place again but uh, of course they were never able to figure it all in the championship chase
2: we've also gotten a lot more answers on the big versus small versus best of both worlds is the way i phrased it in my preview where Milwaukee, they often play lineups with two bigs, Boston, very malleable, and even ended up becoming even more malleable in ways that we couldn't have predicted with Porzingis. And then Denver and Philly, where Denver ended up winning the championship, as we previously discussed, and then Philly, lacking some of that defensive versatility, but Joel Embiid establishing himself as a dominant regular season player. And so, I don't, we've definitely talked about it in a very different context. Like we had thought about, you know, switchability and the value of high level wings and that, that Jokic in particular totally upended that paradigm, but in terms of there being different past success, I think the answer I think the answer there is yes, but you still do need high level talent.
1: Well, yeah, I think just finding that uh, I think the bigs have kind of caught up to the smalls in terms of some of the skill level now. And so, yeah, yeah, it's better to have the same skill level and be big. And also, I mean, the really the two teams that truly made small ball work to become dominant were the Warriors and then the in some ways copycat Rockets. Of them. You know, switching has become less viable as a strategy as bigger players uh, have gotten better and teams have come up with tactics to defeat that. But there really wasn't another team that truly played small at the center position and was dominant. I think it just, and with, you know, I would love to see like what those Houston teams and what those Prime Warriors teams would do in today's league. But it could just be that the way that they built those teams with those players and particularly, you know, Steph Curry and Draymond Green, that that was just a historical aberration and that those there weren't a bunch of clones of Steph Curry and Draymond Green coming or that you then were able to I mean because offense continues to rise right even if teams are playing bigger it's not like oh they're shutting now the defense is having its revenge against offense like offense is just continuing to get better so I I think it's more just that hey the bigger players uh, are have really caught up uh, in terms of skill level and that they're able to do more to punish the defense on the other end and so it's not like oh man we can't get away with playing the center now uh, against most teams because you're able to score well enough uh, on the other end to keep up at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we
0: believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a 3 pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365
1: My number three story, looking ahead to 2023, was actually the in-season tournament. And as I re-listened, I, I was—I had recalled consistently saying, "Well, hey, if they play hard and take it seriously, that that's uh, something that I'm going to really enjoy and cover." And I thought it was great. I ended up going to the inaugural semifinals uh, and final, and it, it gave a lot of juice to me for the start of the regular season. Uh, it was a, a great chance to see teams playing for something, playing hard early on. Uh, we'll see how it evolves and how seriously teams take it next year, uh, particularly because it seems like the Lakers have sort of fallen off a little bit after winning this year's. But for LeBron James Lakers to take it seriously and there's certainly some, some things to clean up, uh, but overall I thought it was a, a big success and I feel totally good uh, about making that one of my top three stories going into 2023 because it, it was definitely something that I spent a lot of time on and I enjoyed it, and I think it was a big success.
2: I like that you slash we learned our lesson from our skepticism on the play-in where it was like, oh, you know, it's not really... I don't think I ever was skeptical on the play-in. I was. For the record. Well, all, well, I, I guess I should say that my my issue with the play-in was that I thought it was going to create all these bad incentives, which actually kind of has been the case. Shout out Chicago. But that it would but it ended up like it's it's created more excitement. It's been it's been more fun. And we also I mean, one of the other huge things about the play in is we saw a team, you know, make it out of the play in and make the finals, which is pretty awesome. And so that yeah, that idea, even if that team would have made the playoffs, they would have been a different seed. Things would have been very different. Uh, so I echo you on the in-season tournament. It's on my list of the top stories of 2023 as well. The last one, then, what I kind of do as a preview, and this does set the table for one of my biggest stories that actually happened, was I, I threw out this idea of how many major stars, like of those, you know, top ten players in the league, which is not a pod that we record around this time, like top prospects, were on teams that didn't look like they were going to be title contenders or their contendership was in question. And so Luca in Dallas or Embiid in Philly or Durant in Brooklyn, and whether that was going to change the dynamics in the league. And and I would argue that in some cases it really did. That that wasn't the impetus for a lot of the changes, but that was a consideration. And I, I would say that Lillard to me, this narrow group probably doesn't include him, but it is a clear example the story and then you had others who it mattered but in a different way like nikola jokic they they not only became a championship contender they became the champions and so you have that and like devin booker and phoenix i had that as like a little thing to lay out they they got in the talent to become at least a an intriguing team in that respect and so it ended up shaping the year, but not necessarily in the way I expected.
1: Yeah, well, and Luca not making the playoffs uh, was—I mean, the Mavs actually like looked semi fine. They were twenty-one and sixteen this time last year, and of course they did tank a little bit down the end.
2: Well, and, and that was presumably part of the motivation for getting Kyrie, and they ended right. up tanking out out of it. But like the that that the idea that they weren't good enough was a motivation. Well,
1: they first tried to win, didn't, and then they tanked. You know, the last exactly. uh, or the last week of the season. Uh, Yeah, you know, I I think a couple other things that I pointed out last year that did become stories, the new CBA, we didn't know exactly what it was going to be. We had a pretty good idea that there was going to be labor peace that did happen, thankfully. So uh, you can, that's kind of the sine qua non of everything that we're doing here. So uh, I'm glad that that happened. It wasn't a story, but I'm kind of glad that it wasn't a story. But then you did have uh, these big changes uh, to the CBA that, you know, there was talk at this time last year of the NBA wanting to institute something akin to a hard cap and they got closer with this second apron than I believed would be possible for them and they gave up a a lot to do it including uh, probably one of the under discussed stories of this last year was the minimum salary opening up some of the the transactions and increasing things like uh, the mid-level and the room exception to where and the players getting more revenue like the the NBA did pay a pretty steep price, I would say, to get the, the second apron and those restrictions. But it was not seen to be going. It wasn't seen coming at the trade deadline, probably even uh, as well, when Matt Ichabia uh, made all his moves, uh, which, of course, will be a big storyline. But uh, there's still much to be determined about how this new CBA is going to affect things. But we have seen now the Warriors pretty much are like, yeah, we're I mean, they're not any good right now anyway. But even if they were, they would clearly be going a different direction after this year in terms of getting out of the second apron i don't know if that's what's going to happen to the clippers but there is a a reckoning there probably boston we already think that they're gonna have to break their team up after a couple of years as well going forward so they're definitely uh are, are going to be effects from this we've seen a lot of teams maybe even move more aggressively phoenix uh, as well to add salary or make moves when you can still aggregate salary all, all this stuff uh for teams that are in the second apron We only saw one taxpayer mid-level contract given out at all last offseason because that does hard cap you at the second apron. So a lot of big changes already happening. That's the the biggest one in terms of how the league is operating so far.
2: Do you want to... So, do you have any more like looking forward stories, or do you want to talk about the things that ended up happening that we haven't that we didn't necessarily see? As well,
1: yeah, I mean, and there's some of these I don't know that we saw them as like you know prediction necessarily. Uh Yeah, one of the big questions that I had was, will there be a dominant team in the regular season or the postseason? And the Nuggets definitely emerged in the postseason. One thing that we also talked about was which teams might pivot to tank, and nobody really did that, right? Like the, we thought the Bulls or the Raptors might do. Do that or maybe like the Hawks or something you know some teams just shut it down towards the ends with their group but they didn't necessarily move on from like Portland didn't move on for like Jeremy Grant or anything like that Dallas obviously did what they did so there was plenty of movement at the deadline and the Nets were the big seller but they weren't going to pivot to tank because they didn't have their pick and they got Mikhail Bridges and actually were the sixth seed so really despite the fact that when Binyama was available and you had all these other guys that that were coveted in the draft as well. Nobody really did that uh, in the end at the deadline, which they probably should have.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was a disappointment for us that a number of different teams, Chicago, Toronto, Chicago did
1: not have their pick last year. We should remember that. They They they
2: didn't, but that they didn't kind of see the writing on the wall and understand where things were. That could have been a move that could have happened for them. It wouldn't have been in the 22, 23 season, but in the 2023 year that they could have, could have gone theoretically, In that direction. Uh, And I had one other
1: one, too, that actually are actually two other ones that I thought were big. One was possible coaching changes. And Mm. there had been big changes in the 21 offseason. You in the twenty-two offseason and this one I'll give myself a little bit of credit for in terms of prescience. Of like, hey, there are a lot of teams that have big expectations. Some of them are doing, going to disappoint. I can't remember a year in which as many big name coaches became available as many big time teams moved on from their coaches. Phoenix with Monty Williams, and of course, uh, Milwaukee with Mike Budenholzer, and Philly with Doc Rivers. Like those those three jobs becoming available, I did actually predict that if things continued this way in Toronto, in Toronto that Nick Nurse could become available he's now is in Philly and making a huge difference as of right now for them Quinn Snyder was a free agent he actually got hired during the season so there were early on it was at this time last year it was like okay yeah Dwayne Casey probably gone Steven Silas probably gone but there weren't necessarily obvious other changes but I thought there could be some and as it turned out there were big to maybe the biggest coaching change here in terms of how relevant the teams were that we've seen.
2: A great call. And one that, you know, the results of the season and the postseason more specifically did alter that and kind of set the table for it and also some other circumstances, um, Suns and, and, and everything else. Uh, what was your other one?
1: So we had talked for years leading up to this time last year about the big four rebuilding teams, which had kind of started 2019, 2020 or so. That was Orlando, Detroit, Houston, and OKC. And who would be, we would get asked all the time, like in chats and stuff, who do you like the best of those rebuilding teams? Like who's going to get back to relevance quickly? Like what do you think of the strategies that they're employing? And I mean, those four, like that has been a huge storyline over the past year for both for good and for ill. If you look at how those teams have separated when we were looking at them, it's like, all right, these are the four hopeless teams that are rebuilding over like the 21 in
2: 22 seasons. Ended up having a huge part and there'll be something I I talk about in my, you know, in some of the biggest stories of 23. And for me, the biggest one that we haven't yet fully discussed in its overall context is the Phoenix Suns. And the way to do that is just to remember where Things were on New Year's Day 2023, and Robert Sarver still owned the Suns, and they had Devin Booker, and they had had some success, of course, but they weren't all the way there. And then Mattis Bia takes over shortly before the trade deadline. They throw seemingly everything in the cupboard at Kem Durant. They don't really get to see that team together until the playoffs. They end up falling in the second round of the Nuggets. Then they fire Money Williams, bring in Frank Vogel, acquire Bradley Beal, trade out DeAndre Ayton, and the wholesale change there and what it means for the league to me is a massive story.
1: I mean, I would say, truthfully, after the KD trade happened, it's been kind of a whimper for the Suns. Like, they've done a lot of stuff off the court. They really just haven't been that relevant on the court, and maybe they're going to finally get a rhythm with that big re-healthy now, and at least, I mean, they're not even, like, a guaranteed playoff team right now. So, I'm they've done a lot of splashy stuff. They've been this case study and all these ways uh, with some of the moves that they've made not all of them even necessarily ones that I disagreed with uh, at the time but it hasn't really added up to it like it's been kind of a dud of a story it, it, like that's the biggest aspect of it to me it's like yeah they didn't they weren't competitive by the end of that series in part due to injuries against the Nuggets and then they haven't really like I mean there's nobody who's predicting I predicted the Suns would be one of the four best teams in the league this season at the start of the year like they're just not anywhere close to that I think even if they do get a rhythm like it seems like unlikely that I'm going to be feeling that about them by the time the playoffs come on. But we'll see. I'll re-listen to this next year, and and maybe I'll uh, sound stupid again.
2: You want to lay out a story that you think was big in 23 that we haven't discussed? Uh, Yes.
1: Uh Seeding was something that I had talked about last year and does it matter? Does it not matter? And with the a play-in team making it to the West Finals, a play-in team making it to the NBA Finals, after losing their first play-in game, the Knicks uh, dispatched the Cavs extremely easily as well. And this is going to be something to continue to monitor. Now, another big storyline is kind of just the, the regular season and what we think of that. And because the storyline from last year was the regular season becomes not only less relevant during the season, but also that it's less predictive of playoff basketball. Perhaps, though, you could look at that Nuggets plus 13 net rating with Nikola Jokic on the floor and say, ah, maybe it was predictive if you know exactly where to look when the the teams are taking it seriously. However, that's going to be... And I do think teams are taking the regular season more seriously this year, and we do have more teams playing very well. Like, there was one team that had higher than a five net rating, basically, at this time last year, which was the Celtics. So, was the seating not mattering because all these teams were just that close together and anybody could beat anybody right like it is maybe it's not even necessarily seating in home court but it's just hey this team's way better than the other team and that's why they win more than that they have home court and that home court does matter maybe home court still matters in denver because of the altitude and not anywhere else or maybe they're just by far the best team but that'll be another thing i, I think that's just as big of a story going into 2024 but certainly in 2023 simply just making the play you know the Warriors beat the Kings as well. That was a six three that we did like a Watfo. Like how many lower seeds were going to win their series? So that's uh, that was just a major storyline. That just the playoffs were totally unpredictable, uh, which was was interesting. Although in the end it was kind of a dud of a finals for them.
2: Speaking of unpredictable, I, I mentioned before with the Suns, like thinking about where things were and where they are is can be useful for kind of remembering the the year that was. And the Philadelphia 76ers and Joel Embiid are another story there where Embiid wins the regular season MVP even if – two podcasters in question didn't necessarily agree with him winning that award and they sweep the nets then have that super weird series against the celtics where harden has a few gems and is otherwise pretty awful but they still force a seventh game like a series that we just thought was over like five times before did, it actually did they, was
1: did, did they uh, i mean they forced the seventh game, seventh game they didn't really show up <laughs> but they no they, but they, they did, did force it yeah yes they, they, they did at least force boston to, to take the court uh for a
2: seventh and game. and that in and of itself was significant but wouldn't be like in in the higher echelons of the league hierarchy. But what happened afterwards puts it there, where they hire Nick Nurse to be their coach, fire Doc Rivers, a massive decision for a team of this quality. Then... James Harden opting in and demanding a trade, which then lingered into the season. Morey eventually, partially at the behest of ownership, makes the move where the Sixers don't add as much immediate talent as we kind of thought a Harden trade could include, given the Sixers pressure. And kind of on the dovetail of that, before we get into the team on the court right now, Daryl Morey's decision to prioritize 2024 cap space like you think about all of the ways that that could could affect things in philly the only really good team the only honestly like team team with high expectations that was potentially in that mix and not extending tyrese Maxey, not retaining some of their own talent like shake milton and George D. yang and mcdaniels who all signed reasonable deals other places and so you do all that stuff. You have the chaos like the, the they're like the kind of the the most compelling team in the league going into the start of the year. And then what happens is they trade Harden and they end 2023 with the best net rating in the NBA for the for the <laughs> ongoing season.
1: Yeah, I, I had a couple of Philly related things uh, as well. I mean, Joel Embiid and James Harden disappointing in the playoffs again. Mm-hmm. I and mean, that that was a big storyline just as you look at those team or those players legacy and joel he'll be in a great position to end that storyline again this season but he's i think he's gonna be 30 at this point Harden will be presumably he's gonna have a chance to i don't know that he can end it because he's just more of a complimentary player than when he was the league guy but you know he can at least come through vis-a-vis his expectations right now and you know Harden also just getting what he wants like slipping jimmy making his way out of town one more time Uh, another part of of his legacy mostly for ill you would have to say but he did he's definitely uh, one of the all-time greatest businessmen at least in terms of getting where he wants he wasn't a good businessman to turn down that extension with the nets but uh because he, he's not gonna ever make that up in terms of the cash but he was able to get to places that he wanted to be at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be
0: epic every basket every game every point every play
1: My next one I would say is, you know, we talked about the Spurs getting Weminiyama already. We talked about the in-season tournament already. The overall trade market, one of the storylines last year was the Gobert trade, the Mitchell trade, just kind of these all-in draft pick trades. And Damian Lillard did not go for that sort of a price. Now they did get Drew Holiday. It ended up being pretty good. I thought they they did well in that. But you know Damian Lillard also. I think there was just like oh, there's a uh, any kind of All Star player becomes available, you just trade everything you possibly can trade. Uh, that ended up not being Derrick anymore. Now it was for Kevin Durant. Right, like that was the KD return was bigger than the Gobert return and bigger than the Mitchell return. Even though KD was at the age that he was at, but the Suns were of course, going all in. Uh, Mikhail Bridges was you know, viewed as a really good player at that time, maybe not you know, kind of a lower-level all-star as he's emerged into in Brooklyn. And, uh, of course, they threw in basically just about everything that they could uh, as well, Cam Johnson and uh, all of the picks, uh, etc., to get KD. But that's also, even at his age, a guy who you – know, what was so notable about the trades in 22, Cleveland, Atlanta with DeJounte Murray and Gobert with – Minnesota was none of those Projected at least in my mind to Put that team into championship Contention immediately yeah or, or,
2: the or that They train. were like yeah. top 20 players at That point
1: yeah ah, Mitchell Mitchell and Gobert I think could have been considered top twenty. Oh
2: uh, yeah yeah I guess that's yeah
1: fair. Yeah but but no I mean I think there was So I do think that as we look at it now that 2022 Offseason is kind of a high watermark For teams that aren't in championship Contention just like taking huge Swings like that like I, I think we're not Going to go there now Minnesota's story remains to be written that'll be something that we're going to talk about here in a second too but the gobert trade for when you consider assets versus player acquired also in comparison to where it put the team after acquiring him the gobert trade does look like it will be a high watermark in nba history
2: and i've been extremely positive on what the spurs are getting from the hawks Remains to be seen. We'll get a lot yeah. more color on that in 2024. But through that and then also like with the with the Mitchell trade, the idea potentially that he would need to be reflipped. That could be a huge story of 24. We don't quite know yet. And on that front, we've talked about it in passing in a couple of different things, but the Lillard saga, an eventual trade, like that was it. because part of what I think of for evaluating stories is the significance in the moment, the duration in the moment, and then the long term ramifications. And so for Lillard, it was a big story in a stretch where there weren't as many things of just like what in the world is going on here, the silly, which we did in the mock. Off season of like the, oh, are you going to request a trade? Are we going to trade you without your request? All all that kind of stuff. But then like, remember how crazy the end of, of June was, where it was Portland moving up in the lottery, then keeping their pick, but then giving Jeremy Grant that four plus one deal. And then that still not being enough for Lillard as the kind of things turned out that they weren't quite at the level that he wanted. And then the Miami part of that saga, where it seemed like that was the only place he wanted to go. And then not only did Lillard get traded elsewhere, but Lillard seemed totally cool with it and how those dynamics were very different than, let's say, the Harden situation and numerous others. And and then the the side stories of DeAndre Eaton getting moved from the Suns to the Blazers in a corresponding deal and Drew Holiday getting directly dealt twice as a part of that first to Portland and then to Boston in that bidding war and setting up the Celtics like it was it. Even if the Bucks haven't quite been what we thought, the overall story is there.
1: Well, uh, and the Bucks uh, dovetail right into that, uh, getting the number one seed, favored I think by many to win the championship. The Heat just pretty much destroying them in five games. Giannis does get hurt, but then they fire Mike Budenholzer. You know that that's for the guy who actually won them a, a championship. Like that's not something that certainly seems likely to be on the horizon at this time last year. And then the storyline became well oh, shit. To be honest, he can opt out in two years. Like, does he sign the extension? No. Clearly, it doesn't make any financial sense for him to sign the the extension now. He should wait until next year. But then, are, are the Bucks going to have to trade him? Is this his last year there? That storyline reemerges after after their as it did after their last disappointing playoff loss to the Miami Heat in 2020, and as the Bucks went back to the same playbook uh, to retain him uh, as they did successfully with Drew Holiday, they traded a wager Drew Holiday—that's another one. Like, can you imagine Drew Holiday not being on the Bucks? Uh,
2: yeah, who had like days before said he wanted to be a Buck for life, like, yeah. and and getting traded obviously without his consent.
1: Yeah, so, but the Bucs are, they're still kind of right there. Yeah, they are a flawed team for sure, but they're right in the mix. You know, they're going to be a top three seed, it looks like, in the Eastern Conference again this season. So that's, but I mean, what a roller coaster. I mean, so so many of these teams have had like crazy roller coasters. Uh, We'll get to a few more of them, obviously. We talked about the Clippers already. Uh, We talked about the Suns uh, and the Bucs. Uh, as well, but they're they're still there. Damian Millard is there, and, and we'll see whether they uh, a different formula can carry them uh, in this year's playoff.
2: We have focused so far mostly on kind of team situations and, and the league stuff, but one player individual that deserves his own section is John Moran, and it's not the most fun. It's not the most happy, but. On January 1st last year, everything seemed kind of normal. He was a very good player. Then on January 4th, we hear about the altercation between Morant and a 17-year-old the prior summer. A month later, there's the people in, I'll describe it as his social circle, aggressively approaching the Pacers in the parking lot. The red laser thing, which again, completely memory hold at this point because of everything else. March 1st, the mall security incident involving John Morant's mother. March 4th, the IG Live video in Denver. Morant takes time away from the team, is eventually suspended by the league for eight games for for conduct detrimental. Then, May 14th, the second Instagram Live video, this one not on his account, an eventual 25-game suspension that basically ran for the entire rest of 2023. And, but he returns on the ninth, December nineteenth, to a Memphis team that is functionally dead in the water for twenty three, twenty four. They win a they win a thriller that leads to a four game winning streak, which became now now they've lost three straight. But the rise, fall, and whatever of John Morant for not only the Grizzlies, but for the for the arc of the league, and for it, it just an unusual situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, you had John Morant, uh, one of the best young superstars, the defensive player of the year, Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bain, on the ascent, uh, they still got the number two seed in last year's playoffs, mm-hmm. uh, ended up losing it in the first round, uh, got blown out twice uh, in LA in, in pretty ugly fashion, so uh, I can, uh, and yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like the Grizzlies are this team that's going to be a championship contender, again it maybe they can reestablish that for next year i mean i think they'll probably end up going more the like take it easy the rest of the way sick guys out we'll try to establish a rhythm but we may also like take it easier down the end and then i would say in addition to ja you know we haven't had as many of these over the last few years but there have been a couple of times where just like players no, there's been nothing to the level of like John ja moran because that actually you know involved like assault charges and stuff but there's been in general whether it's on court or off court bigger stories of kind of misbehavior than we've had in the past the miles bridges saga sadly is something that continues uh, or should be continue to be a story and we'll see what what happens with the latest uh, allegations against him he didn't even play at all last year again uh, Morant and these these other guys not as odious as miles bridges but the, these are all stories where it's affecting the on-court product
2: one josh primo
1: yeah uh, yeah josh primo's one but another one i would say you know zion williamson again not like misbehavior but like he seems to have some issues uh, in his life where you just kind of can't get it together and draymond green is another one right i mean this is what like one of the greatest defensive players of all time and over the last year i mean he's had been suspended three times uh maybe he's just he's not the same player and he's having trouble dealing with that uh, but clearly he has anger management issues at least on the court and you know who knows when his career is going to resume you know it seems like they're close to the end of his suspension now and he's done whatever he's supposed to do but like are is he even really going to be like that much in the mix with the Warriors now that he comes back like do they want to depend on him they kind of have to but like that's a, a, a huge storyline that we've seen some of this off-court stuff or on-court misbehavior really affect some of the big players so in the league in a way which I I don't recall that happening as much over like the preceding five years as in 2022 and and more so even 2020.
2: I'm happy you put those together. That wasn't something that I had done in in my own preparation on this. You already touched on the new CBA, so I'm not going to get that. I had a a one on even the second apron and, and where that goes, which will also be something to talk about for 24 and well, well, I guess I the,
1: there's the whole, uh, I, I mean, maybe we, we can dovetail that into, like, the regular season. Like, are we, they do have the in-season tournament now. Like, that included regular season games. I think teams played harder in those games. There's this whole thing with the resting policy, the 65 mm-hmm. games, the awards eligibility. Like, I do think this regular season has been better. I, I think that in mm-hmm. aggregate, those things seem to be working some.
2: Whether, I don't think that's the reason Kawhi has played so much but until the recent, the recent thing. But it is different to have... Like when, when the best players are playing a higher proportion of the games, it, it's good. And I, d- I don't know how much of that you want to attribute to the different forces in play. But it does seem like the league is making a concerted effort on that front.
1: Well, and, and it's no coincidence there either. I think that the new TV deal is still on the horizon. It, we thought maybe that that would be a storyline in 2023. And it has been because like it wasn't ever going to get officially done. But it does seem like yeah, maybe it's going to be a little bit less than the crazy amount that people were hoping for, the amount that maybe was priced in to some of these Franchise sales Mm -hmm. uh, Which will also Be something that that We'll hit on Briefly here Uh, But it it does seem Like And and this is actually Something that's really Good that the the Players and The league have This much of a Partnership and work This much hand in Hand to try to Address these issues Which I don't think Is something that Happens really in Any other league But I think everyone Kind of wanting to Get paid here and Whether it's kind of More the lip service Of the 65 games For awards which The players do Care about quite a Bit even beyond uh, the financial components of it which uh, can affect players in certain seasons Uh, but yeah but i do think regardless like the regular season has been better this year and uh, hopefully that is something that will continue beyond uh, selling the new tv deal at bet 365 we don't do
0: ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar
2: One other one that I don't think of this as as big, but I just wanted to kind of tie some things together. A number of different players who had seemingly been on the trade block forever or been considered and bandied by fan bases or people like us. Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard, both leaving their longtime only team that they'd ever played for. And then not as good as them, but John Collins perpetually on the trade market, actually getting traded from the Atlanta well, Hawks. Well, like,
1: but but now he's rumored to be back on the- from Utah. So <laughs> and
2: and who knows? Maybe Miles Turner will be as well, just to complete complete the circle. But it's. You know, seeing some names actually change places. The revitalization of Rudy Gobert, because Minis- he is central to Minnesota having this really strong start of the year, their defense being the best in the league. And that changing the way that we feel about that situation beyond even the growth that Anthony Edwards has had over the past year plus
1: well and that's uh, another one I wanted to dovetail into of just the rise of Minnesota and OKC as the two best Mm -hmm. teams in the Western Conference and not not something that exactly uh, at least during this regular season obviously the playoffs remain to be seen but that is uh, and I mean and particularly Oklahoma City I mean that is a a remarkable story uh, their rise with the among the Orlando rising out of, out of the ashes as well. Houston kind of a different way, but they're also respectable. I think. And then Detroit going the opposite way, uh, among those big Detroit four just
2: going deeper teams. into the ashes.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you had to have a 28-game losing straight. I don't think we necessarily saw those results uh, for anyone uh at this time last year, particularly Oklahoma City to be this dominant plus nine point one net rating. It just we it looks generally like we have more dominant teams this year. I mentioned like last year. This time Boston is plus seven point four, best in the league. Nobody else over five this year. We've got six teams over five: Boston, Philly, OKC, all over nine. You know that's three teams basically playing at a sixty win pace right now. Where it's it's been some time since we've seen a team. You know that that uh, twenty two Suns team is really the only team that maybe you could say like the twenty Bucks as well, but there have not been teams that have really dominated it in the regular season. You know, Boston is uh, four games clear already. I'm sorry. No, that's incorrect. They're only two games clear of the two and a half games clear of the Bucs right now in the East. But so that's big. And then the other thing I think we can point to also is this is a season in which the draft is not supposed to be good. Tanking has been somewhat curbed at least on a season-long basis because of the draft changes. And yet there are three teams that are just unbelievably atrocious right
2: yeah i actually i i put that in my 2024 section but it is also a 2023 question of the, those unbelievably terrible teams and not as you said not for tanking reasons necessarily but just like i mean especially with when we're talking about the the pistons and i would honestly say the spurs too the intention was not for them to be as bad as they are that they, they I, I don't think that they that the Spurs had illusions that they were going to be like a top six team. But they they weren't going into this saying, oh, yeah, we're getting another top three pick and going to use that to, to build the team. No, they didn't like they they used their cap space in part to get guys who could help them this year, like Jetty Osman and everything else. They, they got some future assets, too. And Detroit, they used their spending power almost exclusively to improve in the short term.
1: Another big story we got to hit on the Miami Heat. Again, just blowing up the Eastern Conference in the playoffs uh, last year. And then also, again, giving us a total dud of a finals, (laughs) just (laughs) like they did in in 2020. But uh, this one, they were healthy, or at least had all their players on the floor, uh, other than Tyler Hero, who wasn't that important, obviously, to their run anyway. Whereas in 2020, they had Bam and Dragic get hurt, and they weren't going to be competitive after that. But uh, yeah, I I mean, this Miami Heat, I mean, the fact that they even almost blew a, a 3-0 lead for the first time as well but then they came back from the precipice in part due to uh Jason Tatum spraying his ankle in like the first minute of game seven but uh, Miami like they they somehow managed to keep doing it Jimmy Butler he's he's not like consistent to dominate through an entire playoffs but he came through with big enough games at big enough times to, to get them through all the way to the finals uh, but well and as, even I, just I mean, like yeah.
2: the kind of the fortune I would describe it as where they got to face the Knicks and while Butler was kind of coming back and be able to make it through that
1: another story for you
2: it came up in a couple different contexts before but the possible descent of the golden state warriors where the you know clay and you know they they got dispatched by the lakers pretty similarly they have that high water mark of curry dropping 50 in the game seven against sacramento so even though they were a low seed they make it to the second round and then a largely uninspiring series there and then they make the pool trade they have a you know modestly successful draft but then clay having an awful start to the year wiggins having an awful start to the year chris paul Fitting in, but not like fundamentally transforming the team. And then the Draymond Green stuff, which you already talked about. And so the Golden State Warriors... Walk out of 2022, my number one biggest story because they won the championship and it was the you know age 33 season for Curry and and everything else. And then they come out of 2023, not totally irrelevant, but lightly relevant.
1: Yeah, it looks like we're heading that direction, and you know particularly with Draymond such a question mark, Clay such a question mark going forward. It's looking like it will be headed towards a new era of Warriors basketball. Even Steve Kerr since the last year of his contract. I think if things keep heading this way there's a uh, maybe a decent chance that he doesn't return after this year and that there could be just a, a massive change and retrenchment with that organization especially due to the finances but you know at this time last year it was like hey you know like they started they, they had james wiseman in the rotation for a while and, like they just won the championships just let them get everyone healthy together and like they still nobody else has really emerged in the west so like maybe they can do damage in the playoffs and this year i think you have to conclude that 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 is not only an unlikely outcome that they could be truly relevant again in the championship chase at least uh, this year without significant retooling. But it would be just a shocking outcome uh, at this point, given where they are. Uh, Any others but, that you had? Yes. Uh, the Sacramento Kings ended yeah. their playoff drought. Uh, they got the number three seed. It looks like they will continue to be relevant. They haven't dominated this year, but they are 19 and 12. They should be uh, at least uh, in the mix as like a good, respectable team going forward.
2: And and that fan base and the excitement for them was, was we got to experience it more directly because we live in northern california but to see a fan base that has wanted to have a good team there for such a long time get it delivered mike brown coach of the year a young team that should be able to stay together at least in terms of the principles for the next few years that's it's always great to see danny do you want
1: to take a guess if you're not looking at it right now at the LA Lakers record at this time last season
2: they were below 500 if memory serves 15 um, they, and 21
1: they still had yeah. Russell Westbrook on the team they were the number 18 offense and the number 24 defense Anthony Davis was injured at this point in time and one of the things that you talked about at this time last year was and you hit on it again today was LeBron James like looking like he just was never gonna be a factor in the championship race maybe he even never a factor in the playoffs again, even though he was still playing at a reasonably high level. And the Lakers ended up getting the seven seed, ended up making it to the West Finals. Yes, they did lose, and oh, it was a very competitive sweep. Don't forget to say that. But uh, so I don't know that they were truly a team that would have contended for the championship. But to make the West Finals, like you're you're relevant again. You're on TV. They were one of the biggest storylines of the playoffs. The Staples Center it was rocking again, even though it's not called that anymore. So it was really a crazy turnaround that the Lakers are just a team that we're talking about uh, in a way that's not just rubbernecking. And you know, they had an interesting offseason. They made well, trades at the deadline.
2: We, yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I jumped in front of where you were, I think. Yeah,
1: to. no, I, 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 that, I was starting to peter out there
2: well no so then then from that they have a have a notable offseason where they you know retool but kind of within the same concept then they win the in-season tournament yeah. but then they're you no know, their their relevance in the regular season this year is still somewhat in question
1: yeah but there's still there is a feeling like the lakers can beat anyone on any given night or in any playoff series potentially if they can make it there like they have disappointed so far this season but lebron and ad haven't i mean and that's just a storyline too that lebron james now now that he's reached the he becomes the all-time leading scorer last year he is easily playing the best of any player his age has ever played you know to still be a guy that we had on second team on ba when we did our awards just now and for him to be able to will through in the playoffs even with that foot injury last year and and to still make a big difference you know to have 40 points in a playoff game and some big playoff moments like that that was fantastic that lebron james still able to be relevant at this level you know we we're he has a better team around him than Michael Jordan did at age thirty-nine. But Michael Jordan was basically a sideshow at that point. His he wasn't able able to get his team through the playoffs. Like LeBron James is unequivocally playing way better than Michael Jordan played at the same age. Now, like that, those are all big storms Absolutely. Uh let's see. Ah, so. I think this is something that we talk about a ton. So I, the just the general state of rebuilding and how I think that is something that what teams decide to do and the choices that they make with that really shape the league a ton, whether it's who's going to be available at the trade deadline, because it seems like there are so many more buyers and sellers uh, in part due to the play-in, uh, which would be a storyline in and of itself that the play-in is here to stay, that it was it was also awesome again last year that those teams actually got into the playoffs and did damage like that's all that's a a story as well that that's become part of the league and it's just a, a really cool part of the league so in 2022 you saw three teams Take intentional step backs, even though steps back, even though they had pieces on their team that were pretty decent and certainly could have been somewhat competitive, whether for the play in or the playoffs. At the 22 trade deadline, the Pacers trade away Demontis Spons to get Tyrese Halper. Utah moves Gobert and Mitchell for Godfather offer. The San Antonio Spurs probably not talked about enough that they made the move to trade Dejounte Murray, take an intentional step back, get Victor Wembanyama, and also get uh, that three years of Hawks draft. Uh, plus uh, another protected pick uh, as well, belonging to Charlotte. So those are teams that like were still decent and said, hey, we're going to take a step back right now. Would that become a trend? I guess you could say that Washington did that, although they did it way too late. The, the fact that they have finally actually made the choice to rebuild, but they're not, they weren't doing it from a position of relative strength, the way the Pacers, Utah, and the Spurs were, or OKC did earlier than that, or Houston with James Harden. I mean, it wasn't necessarily a position of strength, but they still had James Harden. James Harden was the one who wanted out. You know, I don't think that... They they would have done that intentionally at the time, but they were almost helped in in some ways by the fact that James Harden wanted out to force them into rebuilding. But we've seen Chicago, Toronto, some of these other teams that are just in like lower end of the play in purgatory decide that they were not going to rebuild, that they weren't going to jumpstart the rebuild, get some assets. Like Toronto, they finally did make a deal, but they are doing so to remain competitive, Which and they locked themselves in by the portal trade that they couldn't take a, a gap year and, and have it be worth it anyway so the fact that you didn't see teams say like hey utah san antonio indiana like those teams are all i think in pretty good positions utah not winning a ton of games though they did last year spurs pretty ugly but their future is very bright and they have a ton of assets that you aren't seeing teams be like yeah you know what that was pretty good to actually move these guys when we don't necessarily have a path forward to competitiveness and instead they're just you know continuing to peter out uh, the string uh, i think just the the way. In which teams are deciding to rebuild uh also seeing that detroit you know how they kind of threw good money after bad and then they've been in the wilderness for a while same thing with charlotte uh that apparently that at least is not as persuasive to the owners uh, and management uh, of some of these teams it is certainly something to keep an eye on going forward of like what whether teams have the commitment to rebuild or whether they just have that decision made for them
2: i like that you also figured out a way to bring up the raptor stuff because Pirtle, the Purtle trade was ineligible for Masai for not executive of the year, but it still counts with the 2023. <laughs> but you're also right. And, and the NBA, I was thinking about this as you were laying those out. The NBA is significantly more of a copycat league when it comes to success rather than failure. And there is a clear argument to me that there should be more emulation sometimes of the other end too. And the other challenge, to an extent, I mean, we talked about the, the difference in draft class, expected quality, expected quality, never the same as action. But that, that teams didn't really kind of see where things were for last year and you and i ended up being more positive than some including john hollinger on the quality of the 23 draft class much of that is still to be written but there are different times that are good or bad and i like that you got into the idea of like that they the i i refer to this as there being like different levels of the treadmill and like the that teams organizationally for right now Either seem more comfortable being a like not top six, but play in relevant team than I would be or their evaluation, their self-evaluation is fundamentally different from my own. And like the Raptors and Bulls get the lion's share of those headlines, but they're not the only ones necessarily who are in that boat where – they don't have that upside where, like, I would realistically expect them to win a playoff series. They're not going to be propelled by young guys who they already have, and yet they still kind of cling to what they have.
1: So before we go here, two questions I want to ask you. If you had to say, and then we'll pick our three biggest stories, what team would you say we spent the most time talking about in 2023? Gamers, offseason, all of it. I mean, it's easy to say, you know, the two teams that made the finals because we talked about them for a gamer every finals. So Phoenix, Phoenix,
2: think so i mean there's always a fair amount of warriors because we're geographically closer to them yeah well and they're obviously
1: they're a big team with big stars too uh yeah. and lakers would have to be up there nuggets obviously mm-hmm. have to be up there
2: i mean the, the hard thing with denver is their off season like there, there was this stretch where they just weren't yeah, but yeah
1: I mean, uh boston
2: boston's very high too
1: um yeah i mean phoenix they've done like a couple of mega deals thank god and, it's and not the Nets and, Nets anymore.
2: you and i both love figuring out what a team is and they've been consistently kind of defying that at various different stages of the game?
1: Yeah, I don't know that there's been like one. Uh, I mean, that's why I think the Denver Nuggets and Nikola Jokic's is ascendous. I mean, Nikola Jokic is probably the player we've spent the most time talking about. Agreed. Game, I would say, and deservedly so. Joel would probably be number two, I would say, both for good and for ill. All right, uh, well, let's just move on to this then. Give me your, uh, let's each do our number one top story of 2023.
2: The ascent of Jokic and the Nuggets, not only for establishing a different, understanding of what could win and win big in the NBA, 16 and four in there, but also Jokic not transitioning from being the best player in the regular season to the best player in a championship team potentially being the outright just straight up best player in the league
1: yeah so the other ones i'm considering are probably the new cba and the in-season tournament are there any other contenders that you have uh, that i should you think i should throw in there too I, I i have the
2: suns high but it's it's in a way that frustrates you where it's a bigger story than it is like ramifications for the league but in part because the suns they they hit on some of the other major trends like they had a high profile coaching change they are at the forefront of the second apron and Mm. they had made the highest profile superstar trade of the last year as well so for me if if i I sometimes wrap these in different in different like envelopes than you do for me, the Suns incorporate a lot of different things. And, like, the in-season tournament was fun and it was significant. But, like, to me, even if the Suns never win a championship, and odds are, just for most teams, they they, they won't, though they absolutely could, they mattered a lot in some weird ways.
1: Yeah, I think just because it, if they had made the finals or something, then I think I would be up there with you. But, yeah, it's just it, we haven't, with due to the injuries and the fact that they lost in the playoffs, like, we just haven't seen it matter enough. Yeah, I think I'll probably go Jokic, Nuggets, number one. I mean, particularly Nikola jokic establishing himself as you know a clear say top 25 player of all time i haven't gone through and really ranked it in a long time these days but i i don't and with some guys at his stage you do maybe price in another couple of years of them playing at like you know at least a, an all nba level to get there but i mean the fact that he his team won a championship without even another all-star on the roster pretty incredible uh so that would be my number one i think well so what would be your number two then? The CBA. Yeah.
2: Labor piece, some of the new rules, yeah. the Cause, trade. Cause like that the, just
1: affects so many of these other storylines, including the in-season term, right? Yeah. I mean, this This is a CBA that I wouldn't have said this about, you know, if we were doing this back in 2017, I wouldn't have said it about the 2017 CBA. That just did not have that big of changes. This, I think, was more changes than people were expecting, and particularly given, you know, real changes to change how the game is played, the regular season, what happens in the offseason, the minimum salary stuff, the second apron, and not even the second apron, but... The tax that's coming in next year and the repeater tax are just going to be like insanely prohibitive once you get above 15 million over the tax as well. I mean that even more so that I, mean, and like bringing in these consequences, like, you know, your draft pick gets frozen and then moved to the end of the round. I mean, that is like some things that we just didn't were never even ever brought up that were just like that draft pick thing. When that came out here, Holy shit. That was that really blindsided me. Now I do again, think that the, the second apron and, Moving closer to a hard cap in the end is probably overrated because it affects so few teams and it's basically an excuse now to spend even less but uh yeah so cba is gonna be number two and i think i, I probably would go in season tournament number three just because it, it affected so many games and uh i really liked it i mean i, I don't know how people are feeling about it like, you know like a month out from it now is it like ah, oh, this never happened it doesn't resonate you know we'll see maybe i'll feel like a fool if it was if it's kind of a dud next year but for right now i, I would say so
2: i will go cba two suns three but in season tournament is is an important in consideration
1: all right then well this was fun a lot of stuff happened this is a big i mean the new CPA and like the web and yama thing like this the playoffs were crazy up until the finals like this is a big season this is a fun year so i guess uh tomorrow then we will take a look forward and see uh what we will be focusing on in the 2024 season talk to y'all then at bet365 we
0: don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play